So yeah, I can be a pilot. At the Air Force Academy, I can be anything. Army and Navy, play for second. That's a long, big, beautiful blue line. You have some grit. You have some perseverance. I'll tell you what, you can put down all areas of life. That's just where you got to compete. Welcome to Thin Air. What's going on, everybody? This is Fast Me Below Average Podcast. We're back. It's been a few weeks. Um, it's me, Commission, and then we also have Archie on the line. What's up, Arch? Not much. All right. So this week, we are really excited to say that we got Tom Whitney, who is in a lot of ways a great white buffalo for us, um, a huge get. And we don't want to really delay it because we just want to get to the interview so you can hear it. But um, he talks to us. From Boise, Idaho, um, where he's playing in a tournament this week. So it was recorded a few days ago, um, and he's playing. One of the big takeaways that um, he's going to talk about is his relationship with 22 Kill, a uh, suicide prevention organization for veterans. Um, and without further ado, let's just get to the interview. All right, we're live. All right. We are very, very pleased to announce that we have a great white buffalo for us, somebody who I have been a fan of, and I have to say, I'm a little starstruck right now. I'm very happy to say that we have Tom Whitney, um, Air Force Academy graduate, a former missileer, and now professional golfer. How's it going, Tom? Hey, I'm, I'm doing great. I'm in uh, Boise, Idaho right now. That's where the Corn Ferry Tour is stopping for the week. And we are currently in the uh, championship series at what would normally be the end of the um, regular tournament year. Um, obviously, with COVID, our season's been adjusted a little bit. So we are now kind of stretching a two-year season, uh, 2020 and 21. They are blending them both together. Um, but, yeah, we have, uh, I think, five more tournaments to go on the uh, end of 2020. And then we got a long break ahead once mid-October hits. So, yeah, we're just kind of on the home stretch at the end of the season. And then going into next year, you'll still have that full season to get into the Order of Merit for potentially a PGA Tour card? Yes. So, normally um, on Corn Ferry Tour, it's a one-year season, you know, roughly 28 to 30 events. And the top 25 graduate uh, to the PGA Tour. Um, this year, since they're combining – um, I think we're going to have around 45 events in total um, once everything gets said and done. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely a marathon versus um, where normally it's closer to a sprint. So, yeah, a lot, a lot of tournaments, a lot of golf ahead, and a lot of patience to go with it. Yeah, absolutely. So for those of you who are listening who may not have been following, Tom's coming off a scorching T7 at Pumpkin Ridge in the Winco Foods Portland Open on the Corn Ferry Tour. And he was able to make 20 birdies and one eagle. And normally when we talk about golf tournaments, we talk about the overall score. Uh, but we'll get to why that's important in a little bit. Um, so the first question that I wanted to ask, um, and, and Tom's being very gracious with his time, but I really wanted to be able to just break down year by year since you graduated because you've got some Really interesting statistics about what you did um, while playing golf in the military, just absolutely destroying fields. Um, and, and I mean, it's really cool, but hopefully we'll get that interview um, 
uh, when we have a little bit more time one day. But first of all, I just want to ask, how did it feel getting your first, your best finish in 2020 last week? And how do you feel going into this week in Boise? Yeah, so I mentioned that patience aspect of this, you know, two-year season. Um, and I've really just kind of had to rely on that patience thus far. Um, had, a, had a slow start to the year. Um, I just skipped the first two events with, um, with my brother's passing. And, you know, we'll get to that um, with the 22 kill. Um, but uh, so skipped the first two events and started making some cuts, but not really finishing towards the top of the leaderboard and just kind of humming along um, and really just waiting for my swing to click. And um, last week was really the first week where I was finally able to rid myself of all of my swing thoughts and just have a free-flowing swing. Um, not really too much stress on the greens, just kind of find my spot and what feels right and put it towards it. And, uh, you know, that's normally how I play golf. And it was good to just get back in my comfort zone. And uh, the nice thing is we're heading into the tournaments with the biggest purses and most points awarded in the next three events. And it's it's just good timing for my swing to come together at this point. So that's really interesting because it sounds kind of like you're talking about how the mechanical side and the mental side are blending. And one thing that I noticed is so you had been on um, the Corn Ferry Tour previously when it was the Web.com Tour. And I, I can't remember if you had full status or not. But last year when you were on the PGA Tour Latino America and you got that win, coming back up to the Corn Ferry Tour, how big was it for you to get a win and know how to win um, among those fields of full professionals? Yeah, so um, that actually wasn't my first professional win. I had had, I think, six or seven prior to that in um, at, the, at the mini tour level. Um, but wins and everything from 40, 40 professional pro-ams to full field, um, 200 pros in the Waterloo Open. Um, so luckily I've, I've tasted and experienced, um, that kind of victory, but yeah, to get a win as my first one on a PGA sanctioned tour, um, was definitely some validation, um, especially after I had lost all of my status on the web.com at the time. Um, so to answer your previous question on kind of my journey, um, I finished missiles in 2014 and that's when I separated from the air force. And um, right away, I jumped onto the mini tour circuit. And in fact, I won my first, um, essentially my debut event as a full-time professional uh, back in my hometown on the e-golf tour. Um, so that was pretty neat because I was, uh, in fact, I was still on terminal leave at that time. Um, but that was validation that, that I made the right choice to, you know, give up my guaranteed salary that comes with guaranteed promotions um, to chase this lifestyle where um, really nothing is guaranteed and it's uh, all the expenses come out of your own pocket. Um, but it's something that I knew I had to try or else, you know, I would always regret it not knowing if I could have made it or not. Um, so uh, last year was a big learning experience. Um, I had played so, so I played uh, mini tours in 14 and 15, and then I hopped down to PGA Latin in 2016, and I finished top 10 that year, and that's what jumped me 
or, or uh, enabled me to graduate to web.com for 2017, but I had limited conditional status. Um, so when it was all said and done, I had played in 15 events of the you know roughly 28 that they have, and that was good enough to, or I played well enough to retain my conditional status for 2018. And um, I only got into 11 events that year um, and didn't play great and unfortunately lost all of my status. And it was at that point that I kind of had to take a good hard look at what I was doing wrong and what I needed to change. Um, and through that, um, I was able to make, uh, all my changes were really uh, in prep leading up to tournament start. So I was just overworking myself. I was putting too much weight on taking notes and practicing and, and making sure that I thought I was ready. And then by the time Thursday rolled around, I was dead tired and um, too exhausted to even execute what I needed to do. Um, so um, I, I just put some things in place on Latin in 2019 um, just to keep my body rested and energized and my mind um, also at the same level when it came to tournament time on Thursday and uh, reaped, uh, I reaped the rewards of, of that change. So it, it's pretty ironic that, you know, my, my lowest point in my career, essentially, where I had no status on any PGA sanctioned tour, um, no guaranteed place to play. Um, and with that, it, it brought some of my best golf moving forward. Um, so that was just kind of a cool life lesson of, you know, you, you got to kind of pause in your lows and try to learn from them and um and you'll be better for it moving forward yeah i mean that's that's really great insight and it's it's interesting almost hearing that it's like sounds almost counterintuitive that you need to take care of yourself and realize that resting is preparation and that kind of thing um and that's and all those points really kind of parlay into the next question that i had had about there's not really a blueprint for what you've done and what you are doing i think a lot of guys um, will come out of college and they'll move someplace warm like Jupiter, Florida and prep for Q school. And, um, and they do a, a lot of things like that in those situations. Whereas you, on the other hand, so you served your times in Miss Lear at F.E. Warren, probably not the best place to hone a pro's golf game. And then after you got out, you went pro. Um, the only other PGA Tour pro that I can think of is Billy Hurley III. And so how have you navigated that path and come up with, okay, this is going to be my system to make it to the PGA Tour? Yeah, it's, it's really just a massive learning curve and leaning on um, essentially every other pro you interact with. So, I, I mean, I remember my first few months as a professional and you're just asking questions of every single guy you're paired with, like, hey, you know, where, where do you live? How do you figure out your schedule? Um, where, where do you come up with the money? Where do you, um, where's the best place to stay? And because um, you're kind of just thrown into this new world where you have to learn everything uh, golf is extremely individual to where um, I'm in charge of booking all my own flights, rental cars, hotels. Um, at the at the mini tour level, you're in charge of picking your schedule, figuring out which mini tour events, which state opens you want to play in. And there, there's no central website that has all of the events and where they're located. So um, I remember I would be um, searching on Google I did like 30 different state searches. You know, I would search Iowa State Open, Nevada State Open, Texas State Open, and you just kind of made this master list of where the, where and when the state opens are located, and you try to figure out the logistics behind getting to one and the other, and then, you know, you're asking other players what good events there are. Um, I mean, there's an incredible event I play in uh, every year that I can in Scottsdale, Nebraska, 
Um, in fact, it's it's only like 20 minutes from one of the missile sites that um, I frequented most during my time at Epi Warren. And um, I mean, it, it's tough to find on Google. I, I found I found it through a fellow golfer uh, who had mentioned it to me. And, um, you know, I've reaped two wins, a second and a third from that event in the five or six years that I played it. Um, so, yeah, it's just uh, you, you do have to rely on um, being willing to let others help you. Um, in, in the process because there is no blueprint, like you said. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so you obviously play on the Corn Ferry Tour, and you have teed it up um, in the AT&T, Byron Nelson. And so you've played with some really big names. We've had a lot of success um, on the PGA Tour and in just the world of golf in general. Some of the names that come to mind uh, for me are like Roberto Diaz, Tommy Two Gloves Ganey, Ollie Schneiderjans, Camilo Vijegas. Um and have you had any moments, because um, it, it's weird, because you feel relatable to us in a lot of ways, because we kind of went through the same undergrad experience and that kind of thing. Um, but have you had any moments that have left you starstruck at all? Um, you know, to be honest, not to this point. Um, now, if I were to be paired with Tiger Woods, maybe, you know, I'd be a little, a little starstruck. But um, <laughs> the way I grew up following golf, I never really had that one guy that you know I totally looked up to and and wanted to emulate. Um, so I never really put him on a pedestal um, to where, you know, I would kind of feel starstruck. But um, at the same time, I've been fortunate to have um, a decent amount of success on the course to where I know that I belong and I know that I'm good enough to keep up with these guys. Um, and so, so honestly, you kind of almost have to, you know, walk into the locker room during the Byron Nelson with a little bit of, of confidence and cockiness of, you know, like, yeah, I'm a Monday qualifier, but I'm also good enough to be out here um, you know, I think if you have the mindset of, oh my gosh, look at all these successful guys, you know, you're probably not going to have a great chance of having success yourself because uh, you have like that little under underlying um, belief of, you know, like, oh, I'm I'm not there yet. But uh, yeah, does that answer your question? It does. Well, and it's funny you say that because I, I do feel like that's a recurring theme, especially of guys who maybe when they didn't make it, they say, well, one of the biggest mental hurdles was feeling that I, I wasn't worthy of it. So, I mean, that's, that's awesome to hear. I personally would just feel like incredible having the opportunity to go on a driving range with pro B ones or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> that would be cool enough yeah. to me. Yeah, and, uh, and I, will admit, um, I think it was in 2015. I got through my first Monday qualifier, um, 15 or 16. It was, it was the Utah event on web.com. And man, that was a massive hurdle because I had probably played in a dozen many qualifiers up to that point. And I mean, these things are tough. You're playing with 150 guys, you're playing for six spots and it's one round of golf. And um, I, I will tell you that once you break through that barrier, uh, it is it is completely different, just the perspective you have, because leading up to that point, you know, I didn't even know what a, a web.com tournament felt like. I didn't know what it felt like to be inside the ropes or get access to the locker room, you know, or, or to tee it up in the tournament. And once you break that, you realize that it's no different than the state opens, you know, other than a little better organization or, you know, more sponsors throwing money towards food and hospitality. But it's, it's the same golf. Um, but that was a big mental hurdle, um, just breaking through that barrier. Um, and, you know, I, I guess I could admit that, um, you know, before that, I, I probably wasn't as confident in saying, you know, like I belong um, because I really hadn't hadn't had that opportunity of playing with the big names. But, you know, after you get enough experience and enough tee ups with all these guys, yeah, you realize that you're just as good as they are. 
Yeah. And it's crazy to say that because, I mean, if you're listening and you're not super familiar with golf and, and the Monday qualifying process, like I think it was Kevin Kisner had said that he believed that a lot of the guys um, who are currently on the PGA Tour who have basically protected themselves by winning a tournament a couple of years ago and getting status for several years and getting into the majors and stuff like that, they don't think they would be able to get back onto the tour if they had to go Monday qualify or, or play, um, you know, tours to try and graduate up. So, yeah, I mean, more power to you on that. And I, I know it's a difficult process. So I, I understand that um, I'm sure that was a, a big mental hurdle. But one thing that I, I do want to ask you about, um, I think a lot of cadets and graduates might feel like, they get kind of pigeonholed into a career in defense or, you know, maybe if you're a pilot, you feel like, Oh, I just got to go fly in the airlines after they get out of the military, even if that's not what they're passionate about. So I think in a lot of ways um, your career can be pretty inspirational from the standpoint of breaking a perceived mold. So what advice would you give to not just a golfer, but a cadet or a graduate um, with a passion for making a career out of something that may not fall in line with what they do in the military or went through at the yeah, academy. first off, I would just tell them to um, appreciate what they're doing um, at at that time. I mean, you know, as a missiles, I didn't really enjoy the job. There was a lot of tough aspects, um, and when I got to golf after you know a few months doing that, I didn't I didn't truly realize that the grass isn't always greener. You know, I mean, in missiles, at least I knew what I had to wear, um, where I had to be, and when I had to report. Um, and in a lot of aspects, it was so much easier than what I was, um, now doing. And, um, you know, even the camaraderie of, um, being in a squadron and, you know, even smaller flights and being part of a two person crew where you spend, you know, hundreds of hours together every single week, um, doing training and pulling alert. Um, you don't have as much camaraderie out here because it is such an individual sport. Um, and, and I, I miss being part of the big air force, I miss the fraternity of it all. Um, so yeah, don't, I, I would just advise that you don't take for granted, um, the job you're currently in, especially if you don't like it. Um, you know, missiles wasn't my passion. It's what the air force assigned me to do. And I, I do wish that I had done a little better job of trying to enjoy it. Um, when I was in it, uh, because I think, you know, my life probably would have been a little better during that time. Um, had I had that maturity of realizing that, Hey, this is, this is my priority. This is my role. Um, I might as well make the best of it um, rather than um, succumbing to the peer pressure of, you know, cynicism or complain about, you know, everything that's wrong. Um, so yeah, that'd be my advice is just um, don't, don't take for granted what you're in. Try to try to find positives that come from it. And uh, man, the, the air force network has been incredible towards me uh, since I did separate and, and transfer to this new job. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm staying in an Air Force household this week in Boise, Idaho. I'm staying with two 2010 grads. Um, and then, you know, we were in San Antonio a few weeks ago and I stayed with Nick Charles, shout out to old football player, um, stayed with him and his wife. And, you know, there's Air Force Academy grads everywhere. And it's pretty cool to be part of that uh, fraternity, um, and be able to reach out and, and lean on them, uh, wherever my travels take. Yeah. I mean, that, that's phenomenal. I, I think that's some really good insight from somebody who's getting to live their passion right now too. Um, all right. Well, this would not be, and we're not a golf podcast as much as I want it to be a golf podcast. Um, but I don't think this would be, 
I try and I try and hold them back the best I can. Yeah. As you can tell, I'm I have a lot to <laughs> yeah. say over here. But so. I don't think this would be a podcast with a golfer if we didn't do an emergency nine questions. But because it's an abbreviated interview, we're going to do a Twilight four pack. So I got four pretty quick questions. <laughs> just kind of the first thing that comes to mind for you, um, if you're okay. good with that. All right. So you got to call Eisenhower your home golf course throughout college. What do you prefer, blue or silver? Oh, blue, hands down. It's straightforward, a little more difficult, and uh, some of the best greens in the entire state. Absolutely. I think uh, Tiger Woods won the Cannon Cup there in, like, 1991, but he was quoted as saying that after playing that, he'll never play there again. So, right. And I think he's been I think he's been honest about that up to this point. I don't, I don't know if he's been. <laughs> yeah, it, it, take, it um, takes you about four years to learn how to read the greens because everything slips away from the mountains. And uh, once you figure yeah. out how to read them, you graduate. So there's that. <laughs> Exactly. That's just the way it goes. Yeah, I was I was really close to the course record, and then I had to move. So uh, that was sure, good. sure. Uh, yep. Which actually, do you hold the course record there, or did I you? did? So um, about two weeks out of basic training, you know, so not hadn't not having touched a club for six weeks, you know, body changed physically. Um, I step on the course and shoot sixty four as part of team practice. And, um, yeah, that was the current quote. With Schofield's quote still running through your brain. Constantly. Of course, yeah. So. Yeah, holding my contrails in front of me, too. Um, and, yeah, so that was cool. I think that record held um, my entire uh, – for my entire cadet time. And then uh, I think some chump college kid just obliterated it with, like, a 62 um, in the recent years during the, um, during the Falcon where we host our annual college event. Um, so yeah, I think it is now at 10 under par. Ah, yeah, I think that'll do it. <laughs> All right. Uh, favorite meal at Mitch's yeah, better be chicken strips. Spicy chicken sandwich. Okay. That's fine. As long as you didn't say, if you would have said meatball stroganoff, we would have ended this interview now. <laughs> so. Um, all right. Other than having your beard, what is the best thing about being out of the air force? Ooh. Other than having my facial hair, which is on point right now, mind you, I've been growing my um, quarantine mustache, and it's it's uh, getting better and better every day. I think I'm going to keep it all year. Uh, sorry, Jess. Just be careful because I know the uh, the PGA does listen to this podcast, so just be careful of what okay. you say next. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, honestly, it's not having to answer to anyone other than my wife. As, as my ultimate boss, but uh, yeah, setting your own hours and, and making your own schedule. And um, since, since my job is essentially full travel, um, I get to be a hundred percent off the clock and fully present when I'm home. Um, so it's really neat to be able to be home for a week or two and not have to worry about anything and just be present with the kids and with my wife. And um, I, I really enjoy um, being able just to kind of turn off my job and just focus on family. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. What professional tournament besides it, it can be a uh, corn Ferry tour or PGA tournament aside from a major, the players and we'll throw in um, like it can't be the tour championship and all that. What tournament would you want to win the most? Hmm. Yep, I'm still here. I'm just thinking. <laughs> um, you know, winning at Tory would be pretty sweet. 
Um, growing up in Southern California, I got to play a Junior World event there. Uh, I think Jason Day won it the year that I participated. Um, but yeah, just that would that would have some cool childhood memories of being able to go back there and, and win on Torrey Pines. Yeah, I think that would be cool. I was going to say, actually, thinking about the California swing, like, or, or even winning, I feel like they don't have anything at Pebble, really, besides U.S. Opens, the odd major, but um, awesome. Well, those are the questions. So um, the main reason why um, we wanted to link up um, for this interview, it's uh, it's a good thing. It's a positive thing in a lot of ways, because hopefully we're getting the word out um, about a good foundation. And uh, just wanted to get back to how well you played last week with 20 birdies and one eagle. Um, and so you are raising money from last week um, through the next three events. So four total for 22 kill an organization, which aids in the prevention of veteran suicide. Um, so can you tell us a little bit, um, whatever you would like to share about um, your involvement with this organization, how it started and then kind of what the, what the plan is and, and where this idea even grew from. Yeah. So, um, my brother, Bob, um, also graduated from the Academy. He was an 08 grad. And, uh, so we had the, um, awesome opportunity of overlapping two years on the golf team. Um, cause he, he, uh, he played on the roster as well. Um, and he was a major, uh, um, intelligence officer rank of major stationed at Offutt Air Force Base in Omaha. And uh, unfortunately, he went through a bout of a pretty strong depression and uh, ended up taking his life in January of this year. So um, I, I mentioned that I'd skipped the first two events of the year. And that's because he passed away the night I was packing to leave for the first event. Um, so, you know, our, our lives were completely turned upside down. And um, you know, this this new perspective and awareness kind of came about through all of this. Uh, I never I never respected depression um, the way it deserved. I didn't realize how destructive and deceiving it can be, um, especially in a, a fully functioning, competent, you know, Air Force officer, FGO um, or as FGO of the year for J2. And uh, he, he left behind his wife and four kids. And uh, this, I made a promise to, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to hide what happened. I'm going to try to uh, help others through this. And um, so a big part of that is raising awareness about um, suicide prevention. And, and for me, more specifically, um, preventing veteran um, suicides. And uh, so I, I found this organization, 22 Kill. Uh, most, most people would recognize them on social media as the uh, 22 Push-Up Challenge. Um, that was really popular in 2016 when they kind of kicked off their organization. Um, and I've actually seen a lot of posts lately floating around again. Um, so I think there might be a second surge um, of this going around. Uh, but anyway, their, their organization is focused on um, spreading awareness of veteran suicide and um and trying to prevent it and uh, the number 22 comes from the uh, average daily number of veteran suicides that occur each day um, which honestly is a is a staggering number um so i've decided to partner with them um you know in honor of my brother and and uh, i'm just trying to do my part in spreading awareness so um, I'm pledging for every birdie that I make in these four weeks 
Um, I'm donating for each birdie to this organization. Um, I've gotten probably 20, 25 fans on board along with me for all of my birdies. Uh, I've got another 10 or so players on tour that are pledging for each of theirs. And uh, in the first week, I think we were able to raise over 4,500 bucks, which um, is is outstanding and, and humbling at the same time. So I would love to um, see if I can get that number to 20,000 by the end of the four weeks. Um, I would just think that would be so cool to, to help this organization um, and, and provide resources so they can help um, so they can help veterans once they finish their service. Um, they can get the therapies that they need. They can uh, jump in activities and just kind of feel a sense of purpose um, when they might otherwise feel lost. And uh, this organization also takes care of wives and um, or, or spouses and children that are left behind and affected with, uh, by suicide. So, um, yeah, all in all, they're, they're a great organization. Uh, it's, you know, veteran focused and um, I, I think that's going to be my niche, niche moving forward is is helping spread the, that awareness. Yeah, I mean that's that's absolutely phenomenal, and, and that's a great overview of, of everything that happened in it. I mean, and we really appreciate you, you know, sharing your story. I mean, the the academy in the last year, um, we had multiple deaths at the end of the last school year with really tough times. So um, I think in, in using your platform is a really powerful thing. So. Yeah, we um, we're we're all in on the cause as well. We were a little late to the party, and um, and but we've we've pledged our donation, and then we're going to be pushing this as well, and then and then from there on out, we'll keep an eye on on whatever other things that you you do moving forward in the future. And so, um, yeah, that this was the main thing, the most important thing, and it's it's awesome to see what you're doing on on tour um, with your career, and then as well as is doing awesome outreach like this for the veteran community. Um, and giving back. And so we really appreciate that. But um, yeah, I mean, we just wanted to, to wish you the best of luck um, this week. We'll be following you and we appreciate you taking some time. Um, it's been fun. And we, I really want to get you back for the, for the long form interview where we go like year by year and break everything down. Uh, I think it'll be a good time for me, at least. I don't know how it is for you. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. And uh, I definitely look forward to the next interview we get to do. All right, and we're back. And again, we want to thank Tom Whitney for taking the time. We know he's really busy right now. Uh, check out 22 Kill. And as you guys can tell, Archie over here, I'm the big golf guy. I clearly had a lot to say, and I knew exactly what uh, Tom and Kamish were talking about, Corn Ferry Tour, all that kind of stuff. I'm all in, but uh, all joking aside, we've enjoyed watching Tom. And I'm not even that into golf, and I like following him because obviously anytime a grad is succeeding in the in a field outside of the norm, uh, it's really cool to see. Yeah, um, I really appreciate it. And I wanted to be respectful of his time because um, it was a Wednesday that we talked to him. And so he had a practice around that day and then was going into the week. Um, I can report back now that unfortunately he did not make the cut into the weekend, but he did make a few birdies. So um, we'll be able to keep donating and then you can follow along um, for the next two events and we'll be making some more donations. The one thing, um, so I really, I really am being completely genuine when I say that I want to have him back and I want to run through it because if you're into golf, um, you know just how impressive it is, what he's been able to do. And one thing that I had highlighted, not on the podcast really, but previously was how he just ran through military competition. So they have 
like inter-service and international military competitions. And it's just dominating those fields. And you think about it, winning tournaments by more than 20 strokes, it's crazy. Like if I, so I'm an avid golfer. And if I were to go out and handpick a field of people who are just casual golfers, I, I wouldn't be able to beat a field by 20 strokes, much less probably even 10 strokes. So it just shows how impressive it is. And, um, and I, and I also loved his attitude. Like you hear a lot about the confidence, but really uh, of tour pros, but the confidence that he has saying that he deserves to be there no matter what he's playing in, whether it's a, a PGA event or a corn Ferry tour event, I, I think that's really cool. So it's like, if I just think that he's in a really good place right now to where he's going to, to play well. And, and I think we'll see him hopefully in the majors and on with a PGA tour card really, really soon. So cool. Yeah. It'd be awesome to see. So let's get into some of our other, other topics for the day. Obviously the biggest news coming out of last week was Monday mountain West conference, basically calling that they're going to be postponing the fall season following suit with some of the other bigger and smaller conferences as well. Obviously, primarily is going to affect uh, us on this side with Falcon football. So not all the details have been squared away yet. It looks like they're talking about potentially pushing it to the spring, but then the question needs to be asked, you know, uh, other people are going along with potentially trying to make certain games happen. It looks like army and Navy are talking about making their game happen. So I don't know. Um, it's obviously a lot of moving parts, but this just just kind of a thought I just recently had. If they do decide to push the season to the fall, but, you know, nothing has been really set in stone and we still go forward and, and play Navy and hopefully play Army. Then how does that work? Do we have a mini season this fall and then play again this spring? Or how do you kind of see that playing out? I have no idea. And really, I mean, the old adage, flexibility is the key to air power, I think really rings true. But the logistical side of playing two games in the fall and then playing a full spring schedule, well, we're talking about having athletes prepare, prepare their bodies and not really have an off season for basically until next summer. I mean, I think that that's crazy. Like the fan aspect of me wants to say, well, we're going to set limitations on what they can do for practice and to protect the, the safety of the players. And if it's ugly football, then so be it. It's ugly football and who cares? I and mean, maybe it doesn't affect those, those games. All it affects is the commander chief's trophy anyways. It never really has any impact on um, – it definitely doesn't have any impact on conference standings. And so I think you could say that it had to do with the national ranking with us playing against Navy last year. Um, but I would like to see that. I think it's a really important thing. And some of the things that have been brought up where Nathan Pine came out with a really great statement saying – and so did uh, did Navy's AD. And then Jeff Munkins had had great things to say about it as well. So that's probably the only credit I'll ever give the other service academy football team um, and athletics programs. But what they basically said is that, you know, for for military academies, football and athletics in general are not just um, it's not just sports. And, and we're also I mean, call it what it is at Power Five programs. Those programs really exist in a lot of ways to get their players to the next level. And so for us, it's teaching lifelong lessons um, that you can only really get through that kind of real competition um, that's going to help them out when they go on to active duty. And I mean, and you can maybe have your opinions on that or whatever, but I, I do, I think that that's a really important thing. So 
And I know that the players want to play. Um, and, and you can hear it from, there was a petition, Justin Fields has wrote up a petition that has 15,000 signatures on it, um, trying to get the big 10 to go back and play football. So it's, it's, a, it's not even really that complicated in my mind. And if you are ignoring the fact that this has become a politicized issue because all the conferences are having different takes on it and you look at football, which is an inherently dangerous sport anyway, and cadets by the virtue of living together are somewhat socially distanced already from the rest of the population. I mean, it's the academies themselves are kind of like bubbles. Um, and so, I mean, this is really my very uninformed opinion. Um, from a scientific standpoint, but I think that there is a lot of stuff at play here. There's political stuff, there is scientific stuff, and it's just kind of like, what do you do? Because if we look at the professional sports that are going on right now, I mean, baseball has had players contract the coronavirus, and like, just looking at the reality of it, no one has died or gone into serious, um, has had serious medical problems, and that might be a little bit controversial to say that you know, okay, let's take the risk anyways, because football is inherently dangerous. Um, but I don't know. So I really don't know what to think. And I think the thing is that if there is any risk of a player um, getting contracting a, a virus and getting deathly ill uh, unnecessarily, then maybe we shouldn't. So I'm really like torn. I But if I had to just call it what it is, I would say that I'm leaning towards just let the kids play. Um, but I understand the hesitation. Yeah. I, I was really surprised to see how quickly basically they came up with what their game plan was. I felt like there'd be a lot more deliberation, push off the season a month, right? Make some adjustments, then have more time to kind of let this play out, see how the pro teams are handling it, and then make a decision from there. It seemed like really quick reaction from them, and then it seemed kind of like it was everyone was following the leader, where once one conference had announced it, there are, very, there are a bunch right after that announced similar things. and. I kind of see the argument for, for example, another hot topic is sending kids back to school, right? You send kids back to school, they all get the coronavirus, and then they come home to be with their elderly or at-risk parents or grandparents. I think that's kind of a different story when it comes to these college football teams. I mean, as long as you limit somewhat or the, to the best you can the interactions that they have, you know, 99.9% .9 of these guys aren't living with their parents or at-risk people. so. I, I'm kind of with you. Um, you know, all these teams, all these pro teams where it's like, surprise, half the team has coronavirus. None of those guys were walking into the building, hacking up a lung with coronavirus symptoms when they found that out. It was all asymptomatic um, stuff or else they wouldn't have gone or, or would have been skeptical to begin with. So again, this is um, my dumb brain. I'm not a scientist. I'm just kind of going off of, off of feel and off of the, the trend data that we've seen lately. And I just feel like they jumped to conclusions and they jumped the gun a little bit without kind of putting in the effort. And I think a lot of it is these conferences are massive and huge money makers. And I think to them, the potential to have something go wrong and either go under and have issues with a lawsuit or even just hurting the brand by looking like they're putting people at risk. Uh, for whether it is or isn't as serious of a virus as people talk about is more detrimental to them than just sucking it up and, and taking the taking a hit on one season or having a, a partial season in the spring. So I think a lot of it was just kind of uh, a publicity thing as 
as obviously it's been such a hot topic lately. Yeah, and I agree with that. And I, I think you're right that in that it's better to be safe than sorry, because if something does happen, if a player does pass away and it's linked to COVID complications or you hear stories like every year about players who have diseases and underlying things. There was a, who was, I think there was a big time receiver who had, Oh, it's a Vaughn Miller has like asthma. And it's like, so if he can track COVID and already has breathing problems, you know, that's, that's a huge problem. So how many players like that that don't even know that they have issues and things. So you really don't want hindsight to be 2020 in this situation. So that's why I understand. Now, like you said, money is replaceable. They can, they can earn money on the tail end. Um, but lives you, you can't take back. So super complicated. I'm glad I'm not in the hot seat on this one. I'm glad I'm not making decisions because it's immensely, immensely complicated. And another thing that I think about is the players who, whether you like it or not, and whether they are actually penalized, they're not going to be penalized if they opt out. But if you opt out and everybody's still playing, and that's another year of scouting, another year of experience, I mean, what is going to happen to them? So that's a horrible thing too. So if somebody does, let's say somebody does have asthma and they know that they're higher risk. And I don't even know if asthma makes you higher risk with COVID. I'm just kind of assuming since it's a respiratory thing. But if you're a player who has this, decides to opt out and you're losing a year of film, a year of playing, a year of experience and all that stuff, it's like, and this is less of an issue for academy athletes, but if you're at a big time program and you have to take a year off, I mean, that's, going to really hurt you and that's going to be really really tough so um yeah it's it's brutal to see i would i do think and and here's how it's been since the restart for several other sports so as we've already established i'm a huge golf guy and some of the events that have kind of popped up um like the tailor-made drive for relief and the match 2.0 with tiger woods phil mickelson um tom brady and peyton manning like you just kind of take those as they are and, and view them for entertainment and just, and just take it as it is for that. It's a great thing for charity. And um, I've really enjoyed that aspect of it and not everything necessarily has to have meaning. I mean, you can even look at baseball or hockey and talk about the asterisk aspect aspect of it. Like if I'm a, if I'm a fan of a hockey team who wins the Stanley cup this year and they've never won one or that you've never been alive or been like a lucid adult or whatever um to experience that journey of going through the championship and winning like you're kind of like would you even really want it like i'm a nationals fan and if the nationals would have won the world series this year vice last year it's kind of like well okay i didn't get to go along for that like full ride like the full season and then into october and see the playoffs happen and all that kind of stuff so um yeah, it's just across the board. I think it's going to be a tough thing. I but I would love to see um, the service academies play each other because I think that if anybody's going to have an opportunity, and this I said this when um, when COVID first kicked off, so huge credit to me that I think that if anybody is going to be the safest playing, it's going to be the service academies because the players have much more stringent regulations on what they are and aren't allowed to do in terms of travel and uh and leaving the base yeah i agree uh, i think it'd be cool to see especially if they're keeping cadets you know somewhat separated and, and regulating kind of if they have the virus or not as it is think about it they could in theory 
let's say who's play, who are we playing at home this year? Navy. They could, in theory, bring Navy out here on Mill Air, which is completely separate from any commercial uh, travel. They could bring a few other C-17s and C-130s of midshipmen out and then split the stadium in half, and they spread out the USAFA wing on one side where they can keep their six feet. They keep the midshipmen on the other side where they can keep their six feet. You can still have somewhat of a crowd, keep it pretty separate so there's not any co-mingling there, and you can still have an awesome game with somewhat of a live crowd experience. I, I completely agree. Or even play it in an NFL stadium. I think that'd be super cool. Just and, and make the contingent even bigger. And you have like five cadets in each section and five midshipmen. <laughs> that would be crazy. You have the five band people. spread out across like the entire entire stadium. Just to try and get the yeah. effect. But yeah, talking about some of the other things you were speaking to, especially with these guys that, you know, they need their senior season or you know, they need this season to improve their draft stock. I think it was Joe Burrow from LSU that tweeted something along the lines of, you know, if I was a senior this year, I wouldn't have got, or if I didn't have my season last year, I'd be looking for a job right now. Meaning that he wouldn't have been drafted. What was he? One overall, two overall, multi-million dollar signing bonuses. And he's basically saying like, without my season last year, I'd be an insurance agent or who knows what he'd be doing. Yeah. And and that was exactly what I'm saying. And this is where we need to in these when we have these conversations about sports, I think that the problem is is when you don't call it what it is and when you're not honest about it, that's where you really run into issues. And I know the NCAA, um, one of the most corrupt organizations on the entire planet, probably behind FIFA, like they wanna really put out this idea of the student athlete and the student first. No, at Power Five schools, and this is outside of the realm of of service academies. At Power Five schools, you're an athlete student. You're an athlete first, and that's going to be if that's going to be your job. Yeah, this is absolutely this hurts. This is, would be the same thing of um, them canceling an entire you know major for a year and saying, "Well, good luck. We'll bring you back next year." And I mean, that would be extremely tough. And and even you look at. Um, and we've talked about this, and this is where I said the kind of the honesty thing. How many cadets come to the academy strictly because it's an opportunity to play Division One sports, and then they end up being, you know, phenomenal officers? But how many how many cadets are going to get get in, and they're going to lose that experience of an entire year of sports or an entire season of sports, and their experience is just not going to be up to the level really that it should have been, and. Um, Again, kind of a philosophical thing that I'm really glad I'm not making the decisions on, but that's that's a tough thing you got to think about too. Yeah. I think the only positive that um, we had tweeted out when we first got this news was that I, I think intramural season is going to be incredible. Yeah, I think uh, I heard ESPN three is picking up that they're going to live stream all the flicker ball games this year. I, they're already doing cornhole. Why not? <laughs> and or is lava? Give me a last chance you version of the intramural season see it play out. I think it'd be hey, did you ever play flicker ball? I feel like I'm the only grad who's never played a single game of flicker ball. I believe it or not, have not played flicker ball at the Academy, but I've played it previously. And uh, I think there's like different rules depending on where you're at. Like I think um, it's a regional. Yeah. Reg different regions have different rules. I know that. Like yeah, the, the Midwest think, is brutal on their flicker, flicker ball players. 
yeah, it's like it's like beer beer you know, East Coast rules. Like that was one of the biggest things I when I got to um the academy and I and I got to Haps, like seeing some of those Midwest and West Coast rules were just really they threw me for a loop. For beer pong? Oh yeah. Yeah, and it's one of those things where you feel like everybody plays it the same way. And then they and then when you talk about the rules that you have, like we pulling cups and they start freaking out that you're pulling cups, it's like, whoa. Like let's let's establish some ground rules here. Does Haps have house rules? How we establish that? Yeah, yeah. And then obviously, I mean, you have like ten cup versus six cup, and and all different kinds of things. And like, what do you do for balls back? And what do you do for a for a, a ball that comes back? Are you going behind the back, opposite hand, like all kinds of stuff? So, and that's <coughs> that's a totally different. We can do a six hour podcast on um, on drinking games. So, and we should probably. Yeah. Is is General Armacost allowed to be a celeb shot if he hasn't had a single beer that night? Like, is that allowed? Yeah, yeah. I mean, these are all things to think about. Um, another thing that happened that, and I don't know if you were saving this or if we wanted to do this for later when we do minutes, anyways. But super exciting. Oh yeah. That we are. We've made it. We're famous. I always knew. I always knew as a young cadet that I would make it into contrails or something. I, I never knew that it was going to be the cadet handbook for having a band. <laughs> That's so a great point. Into the CFT. There um, are young right dudes out there studying right I now. Wish, I wish the CFT was combined with contrails because then we could say that we're alongside um, like Lance Sijon, but <laughs> So... Let's put this into a little bit of context for, for those who have not, don't know what we're talking about. Uh, we got a DM. What's that? For those who live under a rock. Yeah, we got a DM a few days ago. And for what it's worth, peek behind the curtain. We mentioned this before, but we are, obviously, every year we're, we're further removed from the current cadets of the academy. And let's just put it this way. We're currently at the point where we don't know, well, we might know them as acquaintances or they might be siblings of other people we know, but we're not connected in the sense that we were at the Academy with anybody who's currently there right now. Um, unless I don't know, they're doing like a bunch of uh, victory laps that you could do or whatever. But long story short, we don't get a whole lot of DMS about what's going on actively at the Academy anymore. We used to have some interns there. We might look into doing that again. So just so we have some little birdies over there that can kind of let us know what's going on. But the DMs on what's truly going on are kind of few and far between. Uh, but lately, or just recently, we got a DM. Uh, I'll leave the person private for now. But this is from the CSP, uh, section 51542. It says, flags may only be displayed on cadet desk cork boards. Only flags related to countries. U.S. states memorial flags, example, POW, MIA, Military-related flags, military services, example, U.S. Air Force, U.S. Space Force, are permitted. Commercial flags, example, Winchester Rifle Company, Fast Neat Below Average, etc., and flags that promote a poor climate and culture, example, Bring Me Men, 3% flags, etc., are prohibited. So that's the message we got. We really don't know any more backstory behind it. It sounds like I remember when we were cadets, you could really have any flag you want on the wall as a senior. Sounds like they're limited to strictly cork boards. And they're just trying to keep it as uh, military service or country or statesman type flags. 
So just to break it down, a couple of things. First of all, I loved the examples because the examples are a gun company and a meme page. Yeah. What, okay. So Winchester Gun Company, obviously I know what a Winchester is, but are they like known for their flags? I didn't get that. Uh, I have no idea. Or is is this like a huge lane for cadets? Are they just like really passionate about rifles and they just put the flags up? I don't know. But the other thing that I was thinking is so you got to look now into the flags that are allowed. So only flags related to U.S. countries, U.S. states. Um, or memorial flags, or military-related flag, military-related flags, oh, military services. So it sounds to me like we have um, basically two options. We can either become our own country or state, <laughs> state of fast and below average, or we can go to Congress and become the newest military branch. I I think we'll have to weigh our options and kind of decide which is going to be the the path of less resistance. I think that we can make the best case. I don't think we can make a great case for us being um, a state because our GDP would be awful because all we make is shirts and uh, and flags and we don't even make them. So hey, we're less uh, debt than the U.S. government for what it's worth, or the United States. That is absolutely true. Um, but what we can do is I think that we would become a viable service branch because we just meme enemies to death. Like, wow. and it's, I know it's been claimed that we've defeated ISIS, but I think ISIS is still kicking around. If we just send off a barrage of memes, like cyber warfare style, that's it. Maybe that's the definition. They, see, and now that we're in the CFP, I think the possibilities are endless. They could, they could teach about us in MSS. Like, yeah, did you hear about the great war, the great cyber war of 2021? Like, yeah, these guys fast and below average, they meme ISIS to death, and then well, they just quit. Yeah, not to mention, I think everybody thinks war is always about, you know, firepower, army, navy, air force. Um, cyber's yeah. up and coming. I know, I know a little guy named Sun Tzu who would disagree with that. <laughs> All right. I agree, and I think memes are the future, well, memes are the present and the future. And there's nothing that can take a man to his knees worse than like a meme that just hits you right in the heart. So yeah. we, we clearly have the advantage on that end. So I think we could definitely branch off. I mean, they made the space force this year. So why can't we be, you know, heads of the meme force or something? Yeah. I do like the fact that they didn't say that. Um, I mean, it seems like and it's crazy because the CSP is so big, but it's like I like the way at least that they couched us in saying that we are a commercial flag. But then again, and here is you want the real peek behind the curtain when we came up with this. So it's always so funny to me whenever I think about how we first started out and came up with the idea of doing all this because everything was that we have is just, it was meant to be a placeholder because when you first say it, when you first say fast and below average and you think about what it really means, it sounds so stupid, but then after a while it, yeah. And it starts to, but once you get established a little bit and like people start, we became more of a community and it's everybody, you know, grads and cadets and stuff. Then the meaning of it is like fast and below average. Okay, it's like a page and it's like what? It's just like, it becomes its own thing. And so it was kind of the same thing with 
And we, when we first said it, we were like, well, this is kind of dumb. Maybe we won't even end up using that. We'll come up with a better name. And it was the same thing for Army and Play for, Army Navy Play for Second, where we were like, well, we need kind of a a rallying cry, if you will. And so we said that, and we we're like, eh, it's okay, but it's a little, maybe a little clunky. We'll come up with something else. But then it stuck, and it really had a meaning. And I think where it came from was that at Army and Navy, when Army plays, when Army and Navy play their alma maters, at the end of it, they say, beat Army. They say, beat Navy. And it's like a thing that all their grads do. And so we were kind of like, just sick and tired once again of being left out of the reindeer game. And so, I mean, us having the most commander in chief trophies, um, it's just like whenever Army and Navy play in that last game, it's, it's a lot of the times it's stupid. They're playing for second place. And so they act like it's the biggest deal in the world, but it's just not. So I think it really, it really hits home. And it's, it's like, yeah, I guess because it's tied to us. Um, I understand why that would be commercial, but it's like, I don't know. I want it to be something that we can say in defiance of beat army and just beat navy because it's pretty you only get to hear like beat air force whenever we play those three schools and yeah. i want all the smoke <laughs> it's kind of a i mean we'll just be we'll be honest it's it's never been better in terms of sales for the flag i mean we're sold out and we never get we never sell out that quickly so in terms of like us profiting off of it it's been great but when i think about it it kind of sucks that they're not allowed to put those flags up in their dorms. Like we haven't even talked about that part where all the, the only point, the only reason we started this, the only reason we made that flag and we made that saying is because we felt like there was a hole that needed basically somebody to, to take and, and change that the graduate program and the alumni didn't have. And we just saw basically an opportunity to start something where we thought it could actually represent cadets and alumni's, you know, views and how they want to go about things that the standard alumni groups don't offer. And I think we did a good job of at least getting the ball rolling on that. I think we both would like to see improvements made and we have no plans on stopping this anytime soon. Um, but I think the Army Navy play for second flag became like this awesome thing. I mean, we've seen it displayed in front of almost every aircraft in the inventory, generals, you know, all these different people, SecDef, um, Secretary of the Air Force. And now it's like, okay, people are prideful about it and now they can't hang it in their dorm. I don't know, just kind of lame. Yeah, and I agree with that. I think it's kind of like, it's easier for them to just say no, like for them to just get rid of everything vice saying, okay, well, we're going to allow this and just do it case by case because then that becomes an issue. But it does. I wish it would just at least stay like an unspoken rule. Like it's like a, I, I don't know. Maybe we need to, if we, they, if they could make a rule where you can hang anything up that's purchased in the visitor center and then we can start selling flags in the visitor center. I think that would be <laughs> Or, or they could just be cadet issued. We work a deal with them that when you walk in as a basic, you're issued your boots and you're issued your FNBA flag and you must hang it up. It's not even an option anymore. It's mandatory. That's how we it's, swing. That, so that's the real goal is like we're, we're already in the CSP. So it's not like they have to do any extra work. Move us over to the SAMI section. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they already know us, clearly. So come on, let's just make this thing legit. Yeah, 
Yeah. So I, I would. So like, there's nothing, there is nothing that makes me happier than seeing the flag in places where it just, I'm not going to say it shouldn't be, but like on a, on a CBS broadcast or seeing just like a general, like, ah, uh, it's just so, so great. I saw a fight. Although, okay. Well, I was going to just bring up the fact that we did get a flag that was supposed to be jumped in by uh, Wings of Blue like several years ago at this point, like three years ago. And it's like now it's dwindling away once again with sports being canceled. Maybe I said, I think there is a political aspect of this. Um, maybe that's the politics is Congress was like, listen, we can't have this, this army Navy play for second flag get flown into the game. We've got to find a way to cancel all sports. And so they went to the NCAA and all the conferences and they were like, yeah. No, no, no. Off, so. Nope. Back it up more. They introduced the virus in January, February for the sole purpose yeah. of not allowing them to fly or jump in the massive, massive, by the way, we spent a lot of money on that huge army and Navy play for second flag. Like you could see that thing yeah. flying in from Eagles peak. And then the two years we had already, the winds were out of limits for the jump team. Oh man. It's tough to watch. Um, who knows where it is at this point. There are some conspiracy groups that believe that the government can, can affect the weather. And I'm not exactly ruling that out. That that's what happened for the last two years. You never know, man. I'm not. I'm not looking past anything at this point. Too many things have gone against us. Now it's banned in the CSP. Um, we need to find somebody from Wings of Blue that really wants to put their career at risk and just jump it in. <laughs> jump it in anyway. Yeah. How about the bird? I don't know. The bird is just a mascot in eternal. Oh, like, sure, there's a cadet inside, but like, it's yeah, the bird's not a cadet. The bird is like, uh, it's like being in international waters. It's like once you have yeah. the bird costume on, whatever you do cannot be, it cannot be personally attached to the person in the bird costume. That's what I understand. Yeah. Anyway. The bird suit and the bird suit and the cadet inside the bird are completely independent of one another. <laughs> what you do while wearing the bird suit is not your own doing. I, I've heard many people that said they, once they put the bird head on they actually don't remember anything until they take it back off so yeah and actually when bane says no one knew who i was until i put on the mask that he wasn't talking about that uh <laughs> weird like that weird like horseshoe crab thing that he has on he was talking about the bird suit <laughs> <laughs> all right oh, well that, that big thing for us so that's been a big week it's been a lot of fun um i'm glad we got and, that off our chest <laughs> yeah yeah uh so they're sold out right now we'll let you guys know when they're back in stock but there's still other stuff and we'll get to that um but there's still other stuff that you can purchase at fastnapelowavg.com um another couple things that you wanted to talk about things that are going on the hill and it's like almost it's almost more fun in a way because i know it becomes a problem when we don't get the updates via DM, but it's almost just fun seeing like the Air Force Academy's um, account just post stuff. Like I was kind of surprised when I saw that everybody had OCPs on because yeah. when they rolled out news, it was basically the lone class of 2012 that had them on as dualies and then everybody else had BDUs, which is brutal. And because I, I don't think I think it was just because they rolled them out kind of late. Like I thought that they would have gotten OCPs for the freshmen like last year, 
Um, but I think the switch over, the full switch over is coming up relatively soon, like some point this year. So they had to do it, but, um, that was kind of funny. That was weird. Um, and then you had a couple of other things about like recognition and, uh, yeah, so I'm sure people are going to come at us in the DMS for being factually inaccurate with this, but again, cut us some slack. It's been a while. Um, but it looks like the class of 2023 was just recognized like yesterday. Uh, they did their run to the rock with the charges. So I don't know the full concept of this. I don't know if like the entirety of recognition happened or if they did part of it in the spring and this was just kind of the culmination of it. But I know that they got their prop and wings this this week and they did the run to the rock and all that kind of stuff. So. I don't know. Just it must have been a bummer for them to be home during coronavirus, still like having to like run around their house and like carry their backpack in their left hand and like ask their mom to pass them the ketchup from the head of the table and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I agree. I do wonder um, about the logistical side of that. So, where was the class of twenty twenty four? Were they like recognizing the class of twenty twenty three? They have a bunch of duelies like beaten the. Yeah, Yeah, I don't know. And was there some kind of clause in the early graduation for the class of 2020 that they had to come back for recognition? (laughs) Yeah, because it feels weird. Like when you're a freshman, obviously, I wouldn't even necessarily use the word respect, but in terms of you know the people that are your superiors, it's very obvious when it's a senior. And then once you work your way lower, like junior, yeah, maybe a little bit, sophomore, you're like, we're practically the same person. So that is kind of funny. Like half of or the, the biggest force of reckoning was just gone. Yeah. And I think another thing about it is it's just like, it must be exhausting. Like, I guess when you're a sophomore, you don't work. Um, yeah, I guess during the summer. But I was going to say, how weird would it be if, sophomores did work basic and it's like you're working it and then all of a sudden you come back and you have to something how exhausting it must be if you had just finished working basic and then it's like okay because you'll hear this a lot if you're a freshman listening i don't even know if the class of 2024 knows that we have a podcast or if they're allowed to listen to me or whatever but um how just like weird it must be um to go through that entire week after you just had to do basic training i just think it would be exhausting but yeah when you're an upperclassman recognition is for sure it works i don't think i I can't imagine they showed up and it was like all right reshun now you're back to being a freshman until the end of recognition unshun like it must have just been a run to the rock and then get prop and wings i don't i would be shocked yeah, you're probably more right, but I I want to live. This is the best part about us not having an insider now is that I get to live fantasy land where that actually happened. <laughs> well, it's not like if I, if I heard that that's how they treated it, it wouldn't surprise me. I just think it would be stupid. Like, you know, the cadets weren't taking that seriously. Um, yeah. yeah. I'm sure the end of the year, by the time like Rona was in full swing, everybody kind of gave up on that stuff. It was just like, let's just get through this year yeah exactly um and then another thing is like you had talked about um the class of 2021 not 
getting ring dance on time and it's like ugh, that's awful like ring dance is easily one of the best experiences at the academy um so that's yeah that's really like the beginning of the ring dance to me was like the beginning of seeing the light at the end of the tunnel it was like oh, all right yeah. junior year is finishing up like we've been looking forward to this school is is school over by then yeah it's yeah. like it's like ring dance weekend is is before graduation week kicks off yeah yeah and I so yeah all the all the new or i guess all the juniors at that point they're still juniors have to go to parade practice and it's just like a nightmare like pass out rates for the upperclassmen are just at an all-time high yeah you just need that those canned gatorades on deck but yeah school's out you see the light at the end of the tunnel you know you're gonna have three weeks off at some point and then uh senior year i mean just gotta power through so that's a bummer hopefully they get some type of you know some type of look of of ring dance and i don't even know if they have their rings yet but hopefully they can get those locked down pretty soon and um yeah just i don't know i think we've we've talked about it enough by now but the rona man it's just throwing everything off it's yeah it's brutal but anyway um so i think we're about 40 minutes into this podcast of us talking and then we had the tom whitney interview as well so we got through some pretty good stuff um less like segments today and more just talking about what's going on in the world because it's it's crazy times and there's a lot to that's going to be coming up on the horizon that we just really don't know what's going to happen so um as dated a little bit ago um we are sold out of flags right now but if you want to go to fastneedbelowavg.com you can get other stuff um we got plenty of shirts and we got random things and I don't know. I was going to say get stuff before football season starts, but um, at a very minimum, we'll find other ways to beat Army and Navy. And we're, I'm going to have to do something to stay sane because I realize that sports, um, first and foremost, are obviously for the cadets playing that great rounded out cadet experience. But the more years I spend post-graduation, the more important those sports become to me and the more fun I have watching it. And so it's just like really tough, but um, yeah, so it's kind of bummer. So please go, please go buy stuff. Have it. <laughs> we're we're going to make some cool merch regardless. And we're, we're brainstorming some ways potentially, obviously it will never fill the full void of, of missing Falcon football, but just keep up to date with what we're, what we got going on. We're going to try and do our best to hopefully entertain you guys and, uh, I would also direct you over to our YouTube channel, just Fascinate Below Average. That's going to be a little bit more active here in the coming weeks. We'll probably, uh, you know, post some podcast clips, maybe even throw the full episodes on there for you, those of you that like to use YouTube. And really, again, just trying to provide as much entertainment, um, relatable stuff to the grads that we can and the current cadets. For sure. Well, thanks for listening. And uh, I want to promise next week, but we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>